Welcome to Culture Bites, where we take culture theory and turn it into everyday insights. We're powered by Human Synergistics, and our mission is to change the world one organization at a time. We can only do that together with our amazing community, so thank you for listening. What causes culture? That's what we're going to talk about today. This is part two of a five-part series breaking down what culture is and how it works and how we shape it. I'm Domino Gawley, and I'm joined by David Byram, a.k.a. DB. Welcome, Dom. How are you, mate? Fantastic. So this is part two. If you haven't listened to part one yet, I suggest you go back. But if you don't have time for that, a, a quick recap of episode one. We talked about what culture is. Yeah, culture is uh, how we do things around here, the behaviors that are expected to thrive or survive. We talked about why it's important. Yeah, excellent. We talked about the value proposition. So we talked about the three Vs being customer, employee, and shareholder value proposition. The other thing I'd add to that today would be that we look at a whole range of variables at an individual team and organizational level when we help organizations enhance and sustain their culture. So at an individual level, we're looking at those traditional metrics of engagement. People motivated, satisfied, and do they intend to stay in the organization, which are we refer to as positive indices. We put role clarity in there as well. We also look at some indices that are typically negative indices. So do employees feel stress? Are they have a degree of insecurity around their role? And do they receive mixed messages? Or we refer to that as role conflict. The other outcomes we look at are team outcomes. And the team outcomes are around how well do teams work within their team and how well do they cooperate across teams? Uh-huh. And another key team outcome we look at is the the members or the employees' view of the quality that their department produces. And what that metric's really tracking is, do I believe as a member or employee, I can deliver better quality? So they're the team outcomes. So that's the individual and the team. And the last group we look at is organizational outcomes. And the organizational outcomes, we have a quality measure again, which is, do I believe as a member, the organization can deliver better quality to its uh, customers or stakeholder groups? And the final one that we look at here is external adaptability. So really, in essence, how nimble, agile, and responsive is an organization's to its external or internal stakeholders. And I know something else you've done and often do, DB, is actually get the company's business metrics. So what are the things that matter to the company? 100%, Dom. And that links back whole and solely to those customer value, employee value, and shareholder value proposition. So I dig deep when I work with clients to get their measures on safety, to get their internal and external net promoter scores, to get their retention rates of employees, Uh to get their financial numbers, so their profitability, their revenue performance, and even their control of some of their uh, discretionary spend dollars. Another good measure we look at is um, project completion. Do Uh projects actually complete on time on budget? There's a whole lot of variables that we actually look at. That's an interesting one. I've never thought of uh, doing that one before, but yeah. it's a great point. Yeah, so any metric from an organization point of view will ultimately be driven by its culture. Mm. And so mentioning culture, we also talked about that there are three different types of culture, which were sort of around security. So two of them were around security through people, and one was security through task, and the last one was around constructive cultures. Yeah, correct. So. In our language, the security through people is the passive defensive. And I summarize that as I'm 
motivated and encouraged and expected to be safe in this organization. So follow rules, comply, wait for others. Keep my head down. Keep my head down. Yep, not rock the boat. Avoid conflict. Avoid making decisions. Yep. The security through task is the aggressive defensive cluster. So now I'm actually almost driven to stand out. So I'm going to motivated to uh, be in control, stay on top of all the details, win at all cost, not share information, be critical is how I survive rather than thrive, I would say, in the organization. Because I've got to look better than the other people around me. Yeah. The better I look, the better I'll go. Gotcha. And then constructive? Constructive is that balance of satisfaction. So flipping from a security needs driven to a satisfaction needs driven, it's that balance between task and people. So it's about collaboration, caring, cooperation, support, growing, developing, as well as making a difference that's important and significant. And I often say that as individuals, and for those who didn't get episode one, my uh, word for 2018 is curious. And it's about being curious about how I can learn, how I can make a difference, how I can grow. And really, I'd summarize that constructive cluster as being you when you come to work. Are you encouraged and motivated to truly be you? Fantastic. And so we talked about the outcomes, the three Vs and the the cultures that drive those outcomes. So if that's what culture causes, then what's causing culture the other way around? Great question. So one of the challenges when we start looking at the causal factors of culture is that culture drives how we make decisions as leaders in an organization. And then leaders in the organization drive the expected behaviors. So you've got this double loop happening, if you like, that leaders both directly and indirectly impact culture. So we dig into some what we refer to as climate variables. And climate is perception attitudes that we have about the organization. So it's how we actually go about making decisions on what we do in the organization that in turn drive these behaviors. The conundrum is that the behaviors actually drive the decisions. So let me give you an example here. If I'm a new leader to an organization and people are hired because they're seen as highly constructive, would Uh be a typical statement. So they walk into the organization, but they find very quickly that as a leader, they're meant to direct people and have strong lists of KPIs and Uh make sure people are, are challenged beyond their capability and don't share information, only give it to those who know. So as a leader, I start making decisions about what do I communicate, when do I communicate, how to communicate. As a leader, I start making decisions about who do I involve, when do I involve, how do I involve. As a leader, I start making decisions about how I train and develop my team. As a leader, I start making decisions around the goals I set for my team. So what happens is we have this direct, indirect play between causal factors or drivers of culture and the culture itself. So the next four episodes, we're going to focus on These levers that leaders can pull, being mission and philosophy and structures, which will be the focus of today. Tomorrow, uh, our next episode will be the focus on systems, which is goal setting, HR systems, reward systems. We'll then go into job design systems. And our last Culture Bite podcast in this series will focus on that aspect of the skills and qualities that leaders inherently bring. Fantastic. So let's just jump into it then. So, mission and philosophy, what's that all about? Yeah, great question. If I was to summarize it, it's how well an organization has defined its core purpose identity to its members, to its employees. 
So if I was to walk the halls of an organization and I asked them why they existed, what answers would I get from the employees? And did it align from the top through to the bottom? And it's not the values chart on the wall. So what kind of answers would you get to that or what would Uh, you expect? I would expect a consistent understanding of the impact we have as an organization and why we exist. So if I was working in a financial institution, we're existing to allow people to build better lives through providing an access to funds for mortgages, holidays, whatever it might be. If I'm working in an organization that's uh, construction, we're allowing people to uh, adapt and grow and live with their families and along those lines. So it's around those value outcomes of why the organization exists. So how clear is it for the employees to understand why the organization exists? So DB, on on that, because I see organizations, because that's almost like the, the campaign poster, right? Like on the website or whatever, this is why we exist. And you can drill that into people. But we talk about culture being both explicit and implicit. So that could be the explicit message. Is there an implicit mission, if you like? Yeah, so it's, it is the implicit piece, right? So do the members or the employees of the organization truly understand why the organization is How the And I'm going to use the word win because some people get nervous by the word win and uh-huh. link it to competitive. But it's how does the organization actually win for everybody, win for its customers, win for its employees, win for its shareholders? How does it actually make itself different in terms of its objectives and priorities? Are they truly understood by all members of the organization? Because what happens if it's not understood? What are people working on? Uh-huh. So some people will be sitting around waiting for direction. Uh-huh. So in culture terms, probably more in that be safe, sit back and wait. Right. Other, if it's, uh, other people might be making their own decisions and determining this is the priority. It might come from more from that aggressive cluster and we'll make decisions so we can stand out and look good and take the organization on a path which might not be the path that's truly the organization wants to go on. Or it might be um, an organization that's constructive. It'll be very clearly understood. It'll be well articulated. And I could talk to anybody in the organization and they'd know what was important, why it was important and how they contributed to the success of that organization. Is there ever like a, a stated goal, like, you know, we want to do this and that great thing for a society or whatever, but actually the one everyone follows is something quite different because, you know, it's all about return on shareholder value or it's all about staying off the front page of the newspaper or whatever it may be. Oh, 100%. We're podcasting from Sydney today, but uh, a lot of organizations will talk about the uh, today, tonight on the Daily Telegraph test. We don't want to be on the front page. Uh, we don't want to be headline news. And so that becomes almost more important than whatever the organization is actually trying to achieve. Correct. So rather than delivering a good outcome for the organization. And so how do these things affect culture? So you talked about, you know, if you don't have a mission or it's not clear, then people might sit on their hands because they don't really know, there's no clear direction in which to go, right? What would be another example maybe that could drive a security task kind of culture? Well, I think it would be more... The lens I'd look at is security versus satisfaction. Okay. So an unclear mission, unclear philosophy of how we can actually perform and we don't celebrate the values that we hold true to us uh-huh. would drive security. Now, individually, it might drive some members of the organization to sit back and wait and be passive. Other members of the organization might take it as their opportunity to stand out 
mm. be critical and tell people why things won't work. A key part of this is do we actually share as leaders in the organization what is our purpose? What's our objectives? What are our fundamental priorities? And it's not the strategy. So I want to, it's linked to strategy. Mm. It's inherently linked to strategy. And um, I often work with organizations say, yeah, we've got a really good strategy. So that's fantastic. If I go out and ask 10 people in your organization randomly, what is your strategy? Will they know it? And they go, of course they'll know it. And then my follow-up question is, do they live it? Do they breathe it? Do they talk about it? Mm. And when we talk mission and philosophy, that's what we're really talking about. Mm. It's the living, breathing of the strategy. Mm. And coming from a, a background where I used to work in some strategy consulting, but not a lot, I used to say strategies need to be evergreen. Strategies are continually changing. So how are you communicating the current philosophies, the current practices, the current priorities in the organization? Mm. So everybody knows, I'll come back to it, how they can be effective and successful within the organization. Mm. It reminds me of the Drucker quote, culture eat strategy for breakfast. Correct. Yes. I would actually say that I would agree with that quote. You can have the best strategy in the world, but you don't have the behaviors to drive it. You're not going to go anywhere. I always say though, but if you don't have a strategy with the best behaviors, where are you going to go? Yeah, that's right. Yeah. It's not one or the other. It's both. Yeah. yeah. yeah so, absolutely. It's, so it's actually, so from a lens that, uh, Culture drives the strategy, allows you to succeed in your strategy 100%. Because I've worked with some clients that have a, a fantastic strategy, but they don't execute well through their behaviors uh, and therefore they don't succeed. Uh, okay. So, if that's, is there anything to add on mission and philosophy? There is. Um, yep. There's this variable which we refer to as customer service focus. Right. And what I like to talk about here is let me define it first of all. So, customer service focus is how we provide a high degree of quality of service to customers or external clients. I often refer to this one for those people in the non-commercial. We talked a little bit about it in podcast one or Culture Bites episode one around the bank, some of the, sorry, health facilities uh, mm -hmm. or service organizations. Local government. Local government would be in that as well. I often talk about this as being a service focus, mm -hmm. all right? So rather than a customer service focus, service focused. So what we're really now asking the employees to understand is, as an employee, do we actively seek to understand and are we involved in understanding the needs of our constituents? Now, our constituents might be societal members if we're a service focused organization, like local government, could be the residents yep. in the local community. Could be the patients in the hospital, uh -huh. in the health sector. In the more commercial world, it's going to be the end user, the end customer. Right. So as when we talk mission and philosophy, we talk about that articulation of our purpose, how clear is it? And then we're talking around what role is it, as an employee or a member do I have in helping the organization understand what's going on in the broader market for who we supply services? And so how does that impact culture though, DB? Well, if I'm an employee, it's interesting. I work with a client in the FMCG space and I talk to these employees around, they've obviously got their product in mm. all the retailers and it's on the shelves and they're quite a large uh, FMCG. And I say, when the uh, employees walk down the aisle and they're doing their shopping on a weeknight or a Saturday or a Sunday, and if an employee sees their product in someone's trolley, do they actually ask them how it's going? Or do they have pride and say, I make that product? Mm. 
And the answer I generally get is, absolutely no. And I said, well, why not? Because if the employees or the members of the organizations were truly integrated in the organization, they'd have pride and say, hey, I, I make that product. How do you find that product? How could that product be better? Uh-huh. Now, more importantly, they'd also have a vehicle and an avenue to provide that feedback back into the organization. So the leader, the team leader, then the, the general managers and the executive team would have practices and processes to allow them to actually seek and obtain and then act on feedback they actually get from their members who get from their customers. And so what kind of culture would that be driving then if, if they could do that? So a culture of that would be that I'm an employee of this organization that can make a difference. I'm an employee of this organization who can gather and collect ideas from others and share those with others. So inherently then I'm, and I'm going to be respected for my opinions and thoughts. Mm. So inherently I'm driving me to achievement, affiliative, satisfaction and needs. The flip. That's where I was going to go. I I can see it in your eyes, Dom. I'm looking in your eyes. He's going to go to the flip. The flip would be that I'm not asked. And therefore what? I go straight to, well, I'm just going to sit here and wait and do what I'm told. I'm not asked what employees, what what our customers want. I'm not sought for my opinion. Uh I'm just pretty much told what to do. So it's going to drive me to more security orientation. It's going to drive me to avoid. I'm not going to ask the customer when I'm in that retailer on Saturday or Sunday doing my weekly grocery shop and I see my product, I'm not going to ask. I don't, I don't go up to the customer and say, hey, I made that product. I don't have the pride. So it's going to drive me to avoid, to sit back, probably be conventional, more security. What about on this one, DB? Because often people say, you know, I'm not in sales, I'm not in customer service. So what about me? I'm in operations or I'm in accounting or whatever it may be. Yeah. So, you know, I don't talk to the customer. I don't interact with the customer like that. So where's their customer service focus? Great question. And I get it all the time. Everyone deals with a customer in some shape or form. If you will see it somewhere going on and often say to people, take it back one step, because sometimes it is a big leap to go to that end customer. Mm. Uh, Who is that end customer that I'm doing it for? So what I say is rather than going to the end customer, Think about who are you doing this for? Mm-hmm. Who is the person who you are providing the data and information you're collecting for? Who are you going to impact? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Who, or who will be impacted by what you do? Yeah. Yeah. So if you do a, a great job, who's going to be walking past saying, congratulations, thanks a lot, fantastic. And then the question becomes from a service-focused lens, so we know who that person is that I'm going to impact or be impacted by me, how do I go to them and ask them, how can I make their life easier? Mm. Am I encouraged to go to them and say, hey, I supply you this service. How can I make your life easier? How's it going? So it's just like like seeing the pack of whatever in the supermarket. It's exactly the same as seeing the product in the trolley in the supermarket and going to that end, that supplier, that customer of your, uh, that you're supplying rather. How's it going? Fantastic. So that would be mission and philosophy. And so then the next point we wanted to talk about was around structures. So what does that mean? Why is it important? Yeah. How does it shape culture? Yeah, great questions. There's like four questions in one there, <laughs> I got them all in quickly. <laughs> you fired them away. So I define structures holistically as how do we make decisions in the organization? So where is the decision making? Who do we involve? How do we empower people in these decisions? So if I was to distill it down, the first two areas we look at, and I'll talk to them about them collectively, 
they, they fit under this banner of influence. And what we're saying is, to what degree is there influence in the organization? So what's the average amount of influence the organization has? Uh-huh. And we refer to that as total influence. The second variable we look at is the distribution of that influence. So if I'll look across the levels of influence that individuals have within the organization. So across all levels, I'll be looking from the frontline teams to the management teams to the C-suite teams, what's the distribution of that influence? Mm. Now, inherently, we know that the executives in the organizations are making decisions and they're making different decisions relative to the frontline teams. Right. But the frontline teams are also making decisions. So when we look at influence, total influence is do we have enough influence average across the organization to make decisions? So what do you mean by that? Can we make the decisions we need to make? Okay. Yep. So for some organizations, if I see that influence, employees believe the influence is low mm. and we're not making the decisions. We can't make the decision. Or yeah. we, we can't. Someone's mm. holding it. Mm. So my catch-up question to all these organizations, particularly executive teams, is for some reason, everyone in your organization is saying influence is low. Mm. So who is making the decisions? Because no one seems to know. Right. People want to make decisions, but they're just not being made. And so if, if you're in that case where no one's making decisions. Everyone's waiting. Everyone's waiting. So I'm going to guess it's going to that passive kind it's, of culture. It's going to that passive culture. Or individuals could be trying to stand out and aggressive. And one individual could be saying, well, this is where we need to go. Or right. groups of individuals. So they're trying to buck the trend almost yep. or buck the culture. Correct. Yeah. yeah. And then if you, so that'd be to, what I'd refer to as total influence. Mm. And then if you looked at distribution of influence, we're now looking at that spread of that decision-making across levels. Mm. And every level makes decisions. The challenge for leaders is making sure that every level knows the decisions they can make and then giving them the responsibility and the authority and the knowledge and the resources to make those decisions Mm. rather than holding them back. So if the distribution of influence was, let's say, too low at the front line and all the the influence was at the most senior levels, Mm. you're now getting to a culture that's probably at that level, more aggressive. I've got to stand out, get to the top of the tree to make decisions. And the employees are probably going down to that passive area. I have an exact example of that of a company I worked in where a lot of decision-making was made from headquarters, yeah. driven from headquarters. And we had a su- support officers in the Philippines and India and so on who do a lot of the back office stuff. And they had to follow, follow the rules, follow the regulations, and they had to follow the SOP to the letter. And if they kind of s- stepped out of line at all, then, you know, they're sort of crucified just about. And then I'd always laugh because the people would be like, you know, oh, why didn't they think about this? Why didn't they do that? You know, something that was off script. I said, because if they ever do, you guys are going to nail them. Yeah, because they they feel the consequences of the organization. They feel the consequences. So they weren't, they weren't allowed to make decisions, essentially. Um, it was all centralized. But then people would complain about it. So it was kind of a, you know, you yeah. can't win. Yeah, correct. So we look at that level of influence. Is it balanced across the organization? And through our research, we inherently know that the most senior level in the organization will make more decisions and different decisions, but there is a natural curve to that. Mm. And if that curve is not in sync, you'll then end up with a more security-orientated culture than a constructive-orientated culture. And so what would it look like if all the decision-making was at the top and everyone else just had to follow the, follow the rules? It would be security orientated. What style would dominate would be probably how it was driven down. One of the challenges with these Culture Bites podcast series of all these causal factors interact together. Mm-hmm. And it's uh, 
We draw it quite linearly uh, as a linear equation, which is good for the engineers like me and the technical people, more engineering based. However, it's not that linear. So it depends on what other causal factors are at play as well. So it would be security orientated. Inherently, if I'm making no decisions, it's going to drive me too dependent. Mm-hmm. Uh, sit back and wait. I don't make decisions, probably with a, a nice touch of avoidance in there as well. Mm-hmm. And if someone stepped out of the mold and started making decisions, no doubt it would kick into some oppositional. You can't make those decisions. They're made by somebody else. Yeah, right. And would it be different at different levels of the organization? Potentially. Potentially. Mm. You'd have to let the data do the work rather than jump to conclusions. But yeah, definitely potentially. Fair enough. So have we missed anything on structures, DB? We have. What's we have. That? We've missed uh, empowerment and involvement. Yeah. Which obviously follow from the decision making we've been talking about. So th- they are quite different in the way we look at them as, as levers for change and causal factors. So empowerment is do I actually, and I spoke about this briefly earlier, do I give people the authority, resources, and opportunity? I actually have this saying I use when I start with clients and I've stolen it from a gentleman who's now passed away. So I shamelessly stolen from George. And it's given the resources and opportunity, people will excel. Ah. And truly, the, here I'd say, are we giving them the opportunity and resources to excel? Ah. Are we empowering them with knowledge, experience, information that they need? And opportunity, are we giving them an environment where they can learn? Ah. All right. And they can actually make the decision. Ah. Uh, we're not standing over their shoulder and watching every move they make. And do they believe they have the influence to carry out their responsibilities? So it's fine as a leader to say they're empowered. But the challenge I would say is if I ask the employees or the members, do they feel they're empowered? Uh, It's it's a big difference between those two. Correct. Because I I know with clients, you know, they will say, managers will say, no, but I I do empower, I tell them to make Mm. the decision. And that's kind of the explicit thing, right? I tell them. But a lot of the implicit messages that they're actually sending to people Correct. is don't pass that decision up to me. You know, <laughs> that's that's the real message that they're sort of passing along. Yeah, and that's exactly what I'd concur. So how often have we? Um, and as a leader, I say my people are completely empowered, but they have to come and check to me before they move on to the next step. And with that definition that you talked about as well, because you talked about having the resources and stuff. So yeah. it's not just about decision-making or, or authority, right? It's also about, you know, do I have the information I need? Do I have the training I need? Correct. It's equipment. I'd put equipment. equipment. Yeah. Yep. I'd, do I have all of those variables to actually make the decisions that I need to make in my role? So someone new to the organization and you say, look, we're going to give you all the autonomy in the world. You're going to be completely empowered to make all these decisions. And away you go but they don't have any training on how the systems work. Right. So they're empowered, but they don't have the knowledge right. or capability to do the role. So, so you I, need the capability first. Yeah. So are they really empowered? Have yeah. I built them to be empowered? Not really. I've said they're empowered, but if I, and this comes back to my comment, if I ask the leader, they would say yes. And my follow-up question is how? If I ask the employee, do they actually, or the member, do they feel empowered? What would they say? Uh, fantastic. Lucky last would be involvement. Yep. In that group. So when we talk about involvement, so how do I involve employees and members and the broader, this is the broader involvement to actually shape the organization. So I'm empowering people to make decisions. So now am I actually 
taking on board these suggestions to make the organization bigger, better, different, mm. responding to challenges. Mm. So are employees involved in continuous improvement and this motivation of learning and making a difference? Are employees involved in implementing a good idea? One of the key things I like to do when we work on improvement programs with organizations is making sure we we take people from all levels of the organization to work on improvement ideas. Uh And they come off their main job for 12 to 16 weeks. And then they go back into their main role. A, we've developed the capability and empowered them, but they've also been involved in implementation of ideas. So the ownership's going to be a lot higher. As a leader, am I truly interested in the opinions of the employees? Am I empowering them and involving them? It's interesting that because, you know, often companies undertake these culture change projects and and so on and these journeys, but they do it in the exact way that the culture is currently. And so there's companies who don't involve employees. And so then in the culture change project itself, they won't involve them. So it just kind of reinforces the existing message. Correct. And this is that, this is this double loop dichotomous. It's like the catch 22 or something. It's it's the chicken or the egg. Right. All right. It's the old cliche we ask to the, the kindergarten kids, what come first, the chicken or the egg? The culture is driving how I make these decisions around empowerment and involvement and the influence, as well as how well I articulate our mission and service focus, which is the focus of today's Culture Bites podcast. But those decisions around how I articulate our mission, provide our service focus and get the involvement, empowerment and the influence, in turn influences the culture. And it's why we work with clients is that you need to know both. One reinforces the other. The thing I would say in is you have a culture. Now, that culture is driving decision-making. As a leader, the question I'd say to leaders and everyone in the organization, because everyone's responsible for culture, is are you in charge of your culture or is your culture in charge of you? I love it. I think that's a great note to end on as well, DB. If I can uh, quickly summarize up this episode. So we did a little intro around recapping the three value uh, streams of culture as well as those three different types of culture. And then we talked about, okay, what causes it? And we outlined briefly the the different causal factors and groups and went specifically into mission and philosophy and structures and really talked about, you know, do people understand what is the mission of the the organization? What are we here to achieve? Are we clear on that? And if we're not, maybe we're sitting on our hands culturally because, you know, we've got kind of no clear direction forward with the structures, you know, who's involved in decision-making, How much influence do they have? Is it all at the top? Is it all at the bottom? All of these things are sending messages to people about how they're expected to behave. Are they expected to make decisions or are they expected to follow orders? And that's really how it shapes culture. All right, thanks for your time today, DB. On the next episode, we're going to be getting into the HR systems. Yeah, uh, we certainly will get into systems. It's all around the practices and processes of uh, selection placement, fairness of appraisals and we'll touch on uh, goal setting as well fantastic i look forward to it thanks for your time today it's great to be here dom today's episode of Culture Bites, we talked about the How Culture Works model. The How Culture Works model is from the Organizational Culture Inventory and Organizational Effectiveness Inventory.
The feedback report for these surveys and other culture change resources are copyrighted by Human Synergistics International. Research and development by Robert A. Cook and J. Clayton Lafferty. All rights reserved. Please contact us if you would like to review any of these resources for organisational change and development.